There was this thing that my uncle had come out with and said that he saw my mother three days after she was murdered. She came to his office in Washington, D.C. She confessed to him that she was part of a baby selling ring and a gold smuggling ring with the Chinese and all these her friends were involved and all this stuff, all the just this nonsense, this crazy nonsense. So. My father's obviously planting those seeds and I ended up finding out, and I'll probably talk about this in another episode later on the program, where there were certain things that my father did with his coercive control over his brother and sister. And so I think that my father influenced my uncle. And look, my uncle worked for the department in the Navy. Um, there is this coercive control that these people have over them. And it, it has to do, it's linked always to some sort of trauma. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I am your host, Collier Landry. And hey, what's going on? 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 Yes, probably shouldn't. I don't know if I can sing that or not. But anyways, I did. There you have it. Um, I don't know. Anyways, happy Friday. I'm in a good mood and I hope you guys are too, because remember life is too short and also life is a matter of perspective. So choose yours wisely. I'm coming up with all these little quips as I go into this podcast and as I explore this new medium of content creation. And it's super cool that you guys are all on the journey with me. And for those of you that are on the journey and that join my IG lives every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. I love seeing you guys there. That's on my Instagram channel at Collier Landry. Also, for those of you that are really diving in and helping support the program, I have a Patreon account, which is patreon.com forward slash Collier Landry. Or you can go to my website, www.callyourlandry.com for all things moving past murder. And of course, subscribing and liking on the YouTube channel, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, go to Spotify, check it out. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you guys so much. Um, that's the spiel. We're going to get into another exciting episode today. And I have a letter to read. Somebody reached out to me on the gram and I'm going to put on my, for those of you watching my reading glasses, because as you guys know, I am farsighted and these help uh, five for $12. Somebody was curious the other day, five for $12 on Amazon. Anyways, this one comes from Michelle K. Falbo and she reached out to me on Instagram a couple weeks ago says Collier, I am sitting here watching a murder in Mansfield and I am having many memories flood my mind of my narcissistic father. I'm sorry to hear that. Although he never committed murder, he did have serial affairs while married to my mother. My father was also just a horrible person. What pushed me to reach out to you was the letter he wrote back to you about how evil you were. I also received a similar letter from my father. It is sad to have experienced my father. However, your story was one that touched me as my life could have been so much worse. Heard that before. The way you have made yourself a better life than his is your best revenge. 
I think you are a pretty amazing person. Your mom would be proud. Thank you for your story and thank you for being. Keep living a positive life. Well, um, Michelle, thank you so much for saying that. That's really cool. I love hearing that uh, what I'm doing is resonating with you guys, my audience. And wow. Yeah. The And I'm really sorry to hear that your father is a narcissist and was having serial affairs against your mother. I mean... Oh boy. I mean, this is always just such a, I mean, I don't know. The world is a crazy place, right? So, um, I don't know what to say. My father did write me a letter saying that I was evil. Again, you know, I don't know what possesses a person to write that to a, what was I probably like 12, 13, whatever, a son whose mother he murdered. Um, who knows, but who am I here? Who am I? Who am I to judge? Um, but I have experienced it. It is a real thing. And narcissists and sociopaths kind of suck. Oh, I will be at CrimeCon the end of April. April 29th, 30th, May 1st, something like that. And May 1st, ironically, is that horrible sociopath's birthday. My father will turn 79 this year. And um, wow. But we're going to get into that in another episode. Um but for those of you going to CrimeCon, come check it out. I am not speaking. I'm not doing anything. I am literally going there for the first time to walk around as a normal human being and check it out and see what happens and promote the podcast and meet people who may have seen me on Forensic Files or seen a murder in Mansfield or better yet, listen and watch the podcast. Can you believe that? Ooh, okay. That would be super cool. So I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you guys there. So on that note of Michelle's questions, I have my pulled out of my bin of goodies. And for those of you that might be new to the program, um, I have all of my father's letters from prison and they span a period of about 31 years, 30 years, 29 years, something like that. It is a long time and there's about 500 of them. So I randomly pick one and I read them uh, on this program and I've never read them before. Well, I read them when I was a child. Or, and, and for those of you that are curious because of the content of the letters, my adopted parents, making sure that my father wouldn't manipulate me, always pre-read the letters before they gave them to me for the most part. Um, and so, you know, when I was a minor, uh, they tried to look out for me and that was really cool of them. Um, but as an adult, I get to actually read them with an adult frame of mind and as someone who is doing his best to live his best life and not doing it in revenge against my father. I'm sorry, Michelle, I'll tell you that because I want to live a good life just for me and a little bit for my mom, but I, I want to be, a, you know, I just want to have a, a good life. <laughs> um, but I'm going to dive into one of these letters. So I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull this one off the top and we're going to check it out because uh, this one, this one has a, this one has a card in it or something. And this one came when my father was still at Warren Correctional Institution, which is in Lebanon, Ohio. There's like Lebanon Correctional Institution, then there's War C, I think, which is in Warren, Ohio. Then there's Lebanon, like I said, and Lebanon, Ohio, and all that. Um, so we're gonna delve into this right now. Should we do it? Let's do it. All right. So trusty Amazon reading glasses are going to get put on. I'm gonna clean them first, but this way I can actually read the material properly okay so there is a letter all right oh and here's something okay so this was i'm sorry this was dated 
There's no, there's no uh, postal stamp on the envelope, so I really don't know when this was sent out. Interesting. Okay. Ooh, very nice artwork. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. Oh, really? Are we not autofocusing now? Oh, camera. Anyways, for those of you watching, it's a bear, it's a bird, it's an owl. It says some are very, very wise. And some are not. Oh, the irony of all this stuff. It's just amazing. Some are very, very wise. My father was not one of those some are very. Oh, and there's a giraffe and there is, oh my, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. This is like total, oh my goodness. There's a lot of hidden little messages in this one. This is kind of cool. Okay, so, um, well, it's not cool. <laughs> it's kind of sad, actually. But, um, so for those of you that are watching, so we have the bear and it says, and for those of you that aren't watching, I'm going to narrate what this says, obviously. Um, so when I open up the, the envelope, so the card, and it's, and you can get cards made in prison. You can, everybody makes everything in prison. For those of you that might not know, like you can get pretty much anything in prison um, in, in one degree or another. It's sort of like, how much money do you want to pay? Or what do you want to do? Or what do you want to trade? What favors, whatever those favors may be. Hey, I don't know. Um, it's an interesting place for sure. Uh, but yeah, this says, so there's a bear. There's a, like I said, there's a bear. There's like a, I don't know, a little parrot. There's an owl. And then on the inside, there's a giraffe and a tiger. So we're going to, so the bear says some sons are unbearable. Maybe he's talking to me and some are kind of flighty and some are very, very wise. Unlike my father and some act high and mighty. Wow. Like, is that a, um, wow, that's a real thing, huh? But some are downright great and special, just like you. Collier, my love and thoughts are always with you. Love, Daddy. And there you have it. And autofocusing is slow, but yeah, there you go. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see this. Oh, and he dates the, the back of the card with his doctor signature. And slowly coming into focus. Yeah, it has his doctor signature, 1294. So this was, uh, okay, so this was obviously December 1994. Love Daddy, XXOOO. Hmm. Well, that is super interesting um, and full of hidden, hidden innuendos like you're flighty or you're high and mighty. I, I will take that at face value. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, all right. This letter is Tuesday evening, 22nd, November, 1994. Dear Collier. Well, son, here I am again with another card. Thought you might appreciate my thoughts. Hope you are doing fine. I just cannot begin to tell you how much I miss you. You are growing so well, so handsome and strong and intelligent. I am really proud of you. Now, for those of you who remember the earlier episode, like a few episodes ago, my father was sent, had sent a letter around the same time period, ironically, um, 
commenting how handsome I was and my uh, homecoming date at the time and all of these just kind of bizarre things. Um, and then he was at, and then he decided to sort of gaslight me and tell me how he was a great father and I don't need to tell him that he was a great father. And he was always really good to myself and my mother and even his girlfriend who impregnated while he was married to my mother was jealous of both my mother and myself because he took such good care of us. Whew. Uh, it takes a special kind of person to write those things after killing someone's mother, but it happened. And you know, wow. So, you know, I don't know when I dig into these letters, I just kind of, I remembering this time in my life. And I always say, and I said in the last episode, I said, what was the ask? Like, what's he looking for? And he wants, and around this time period, like I said before, in the other episode, he was talking to me around that time because he was trying to butter me up because he wanted me to, if I remember correctly, he wanted me to rescind, rescind my testimony and say that I was coerced by the prosecutor and by the detective, Dave Messmore, to testify against him. And not only that, but also to fabricate all these lies and that I didn't really hear him slam my mother's body against the wall or, well, what I now know, smash the back of her skull into and that she really did, well, at that time, she ran out after throwing credit cards at him. That was the story. And went into the car and in the driveway. And then that story actually had an evolution over the many years that he's been incarcerated. And lately, as you've seen in the movie, A Murder in Mansfield, he says that she came at him with a knife and he pushed her and she hit her head. But it was downstairs, not upstairs, right outside my bedroom door. So, yeah, that's where we're at in this stage of life with my father. And, um, <laughs> it's interesting. Okay. So second paragraph, so many thoughts cross my mind as I glance at the visiting room and think about how short our time was. I missed you and would hope you would return when your schedule and George's permits. Okay. So my adoptive father, George, who's in a murder Mansfield, as you've seen, um, he, uh, would take me or I don't know. I actually don't know how many times he took me to go visit my father, but as crazy as this might sound and as crazy as the situation was, my adoptive parents, George and Susan Ziegler were very much in support of me trying to have as best of a relationship as I could have with my father, whatever that looked like, because, um, I think that I think that deep down inside, they, they didn't want this man in my life, but, but I think that, or I know that they just really didn't want to be those parents that were like, well, you can't see your father because blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that was honestly a very smart move on their part because I think that they knew that that could quite possibly come back to breed resentment on them. Perhaps. I don't know. Um, because I think like, a lot of times when I think about my friends who have parents who are divorced, for example, there becomes like this back and forth uh, with the parents and they kind of, they kind of ping pong the kids back and forth. Like, oh, I don't want you to see, it. oh, you're not going to see your father. Oh, my God. And even myself in my life, in the brief time between when my mother was 
filed for divorce from my father and when she was murdered, there was like, it was getting nastier and nastier. Like my, if my father came home or I spent any time with my father, he would say, how's that bitch of your mother or your whore, your mother saying, and then my mother would say like, how's that asshole of your father doing? And uh, how's his whore or whatever it was, which I mean, look, was that right to do? No, <laughs> it's not right, but it is very human. I mean, it really is. And like at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Um, we're all just trying to make it. And I think that's one of the things that I've had to come to, to grips with as an adult is that I was put in this, you know, precarious position, if you will, um, or predicament or whatever we want to call it. I mean, but you know, we're my, my parents, I, I think I probably think it like a lot of times, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this guys, but I think a lot of times, um, we grow up like idolizing our parents. I think we all do it, right? We want to be like our mother or our father. And usually it's the same gender as who we are, right? So if I, you're a boy, you want to be like your dad. If you're a girl, you want to be like your mom for the most part. Now, I don't know if that's totally true, but that's just my impression of it. I could be wrong, whatever. Um, but I think that, um, I think you idolize them. You put them on a pedestal a little bit. And then as we all get older, we realize that our, our parents are just human beings, just like us. And they have problems and issues and, and things that go wrong and not everything is perfect. And they really, at the end of the day, did the best they could with us. So I think that we realize that I, all that to say this, I think that we realize they're flawed and when they're flawed and we accept that, because we know that we're flawed, then we can sort of, you know, begin to reconcile with maybe our feelings of resentment or anger or, or frustration with our parents growing up or where our relationship is at now with our parents. Now that does not excuse the fact that my father murdered my mother. And I'm not saying that I understand his position on where he's coming from or his position of the bullshit that he continually shills in these letters to me as a young man, or that he has as an adult or I have has to me as an adult. I am not excusing any of that saying like, Oh, we're only human. It's okay. I forgive. No, 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 no. <laughs> we are all responsible for our own lives. First of all, and what he did is inexcusable no doubt about it. Um, and, and there's, there's no justification for it. it. I don't care what it is. There's no justification. Should have just divorced my mother and been done with it. Um, because look at you now. I mean, like I said, father is going to turn 79 in a couple of weeks. That's a long, that's, you know, that's, I like to think that's young because I think the average adult age, the average age that an, um, an American adult lives is around 78, 79, 77, 78, 79, which has not really uh, increased in the last 20 years, which was interesting because I was reading an article recently about that, but we're not here to debate that. What we are here to discuss is um, that's a long time to be in prison. So he was in car. He was officially, he was arrested when he was 46. So he was incarcerated when he was 47. So that's 32 years that he has been incarcerated. a long, long time. That is about 32 years too long for my taste. Um, if I was a person that was incarcerated, but again, I make different choices because I am a, uh, sane and normal and understanding and empathetic adult. Um, and I try to live my life as a good human being, but I too am flawed. Um, 
Okay. Of the many things we did not discuss. Oh boy, here it comes, guys. Of the many things we did not discuss, but which I feel is important, is your mother. Oh my God. We are going there. See, and this is my natural reaction because I'm this is I'm reading it for the first time since I was a kid. It is important you know my feelings about several things in that regard. Oh, holy Lord. As I stated, mommy was not my enemy. In fact, I always, in spite of our differences, thought of her as my best friend. Obviously, the love we once shared for each other turned into another type of love. But there was time when we loved each other deeply and passionately. Something just happened along the way. Something just happened along the way in that love. Part my fault, part her fault. And this is actually written in his handwriting. So this letter, by the way, for those of you that are listening, is typed. And then my father wrote in his handwriting, which is right here, if we can all see. Yeah. Wow. Part my fault, part her fault. What part is her fault? So just really quick. So when I was making a murder in Mansfield and doing pre-production, I did speak to my father's sister. Um, who I hadn't seen in 25 years, probably 23, something like that, a very long time. And one of the things she confided in me, um, or she was telling me, because when I actually talked to these relatives, like after, you know, saying like, why haven't I ever heard from you? Um, <laughs> is well, like, what was my mom like? And she really gave me some amazing information. I think I've shared this before, but I found out that my mother, I knew my mother was a dental hygienist, but I never knew that my mother supported my father while he was in medical school because she was making $25 an hour as a dental hygienist. And in the 60s and 70s, that's a lot of money. It's still, you know, a decent amount of money these days. Uh, it's higher than minimum wage, that's for sure. But it's definitely a living wage, I, I think, I hope. Maybe not in the recession, maybe not when gas is $6 a gallon in California, but it, it used to be. Um, but I think that... Um, that was a really cool thing. You know, I got to hear these amazing stories about my mom. What a resilient, what a, an awesome, amazing person she was, how dedicated she was as a wife, as a partner, as a friend. It's really cool. Makes me feel really good. On the flip side, I got to find out certain things about my father um, that I didn't know. And there were many horrible things, which I will share over the course of this program, as I often do. But one of the things was, is that my father, my, my, my aunt shared with me a story that her, her family would go, um, every year, like a lot of, um, a lot of families do on the East coast or especially like Philadelphia, New York city, New Jersey areas. They go to like the Jersey shore. I know there's a very famous television show about all that and all the shenanigans that go on, but there's also a really nice part where just normal families go. Right. And, uh, so Jersey shore, they were at like a little beach house for a week and stay. And there was like a vacation that had happened with the family. And it was like when my father was like 18 or 19 and him, my mother were dating something like that, 18, 19, 20. And my mother had this like sneaky, spidey sense sort of thing. And it was like, where's Jack? What's he doing? And she went down to the vacation house from Philadelphia and showed up on the doorstep of the vacation home and said to my aunt, where's Jack? For those of you who know, my father's name is John, but he goes by Jack. Where's Jack? And my aunt was like, I, I don't know. And I don't want to get in the middle of it. Like just kind of like 
oh boy, here's the angry girlfriend. And, and my father was off with another girl that he had met. And that's why my mother came down. She can get a hold of him and she knew his shenanigans. So what I had found out, anyways, why I'm sharing this is I had found out that my father was having affairs and relationships with other women while he was courting my mother, not just married, but before in the courting process and the dating process, he was having other girlfriends because he was completely incapable of being faithful. And look, infidelity is a thing. It happens, but a serial infidel or in serial adulterer, much like our friend Michelle was sharing about her father, um, is a thing. And it's also a very big, uh, um, trait of, or very common trait of the, um, of the narcissist and sociopath sort of thing, because they always want that attention and this and this and this and this and shiny new things, shiny new objects everywhere, shiny new objects. I don't know. Um, so it's a lot to swallow. So it's very interesting that he says, oh, and it's also her fault too, because I don't see how that is because it was such a, it had been going on for so long at that point, but let's dive in more. I mean, you, you know, all these of the letters I get into like, you know, two, two, three paragraphs in, and I'm having, and I'm, I've spoken the whole, you know, I've taken up all your time and we're not even there yet. Oh boy. <clears throat> I feel mommy was not always her own person for some reason. She seemed to be on her own track, her own focus. I suspect the cause of that was mommy, quote, wanted something else. Perhaps the, quote, sea stories about the princess life affected her. I do not know for certain. I don't know what sea stories are, but maybe y'all can Google that. I don't know. I don't know what a sea story is, but um, wow. She was on her own track. So I'm somebody who likes a strong woman. I like somebody who has their act together. I might not always choose those partners in my life, but it is definitely something that I'm interested in. But I know that that is not traditional sort of that time period of American life. You know, Susie Hallmaker or whatever they say, you know, Mother's Little Helper. I don't, I don't know, whatever. A very pleasant fill sort of thing. I, I, I don't know. Um, but it seems that my father might have been threatened by her. I mean, that's clearly what he's saying uh, because she is on her own track and her own focus. I don't really know. Was she not um, uh, doting him enough for his uh, massive narcissistic sociopath, sociopathic ego? Who knows? Um, wow. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> this is very direct. I do not believe in my heart that your mother was evil. I do think she was, quote, misguided in some things, but her intents were never evil to anyone. That is not the picture I have of mommy in my mind and certainly not the picture of the woman I knew. Yes, there are some things I do not know about mommy. I always thought I knew her, but must admit that is not correct. But for our purposes here, I want you to know that mommy is a good woman. She always wanted the best for you and, quote, and I think for me also, or parentheses, I think for me, she always wanted the best for you. And I think for me also, she only fell into her adventures out of what I believe was a sense of desperation with control. One thing I do know was that mommy always wanted control of everything. Ha! Just see her, her characteristic, I guess. Or yeah. Wow. Okay. One thing I do know was that mommy wanted, quote, control over everything. Ha, just her characteristic, I guess. I think it is important 
you know this about mommy. And that someone close to her, like me, isn't my father, tells you this, exclamation point. I do indeed think mommy was under some kind of quote pressure, whether it was the adoption or money or whatever it was, I think she was under a perceived pressure. I use the term quote perceived because I think she was the recipient of a real, of real bad vibes from Riggenbach and Margie Temperman. This is just my opinion as I have no real facts to support this story or to support this theory. But in spite of what you hear and read, you will note that I have not said anything bad about mommy to, to anyone. I am just as confused as you are about her conduct. Remember this fact. Mommy loves you very much and would never do anything knowingly or conscientiously to harm you. And I believe to harm me either. I just wanted to share these sentiments with you about mommy. It is important you know this. Well, Bumper, I'm off to write another letter and hit the books. Hopefully you are doing the same. Write soon. Visit sooner. Much love. XXOOO. Daddy. Um. Woo. Oh, man. That is a. um, Wow. That is that is that's a doozy right there. So I'm going to give a little background. So this is November 1994. And I think at this time. So uh, like I said, my father was trying to get this. um, uh, This appeal happening. And I believe around this time there was this Richland County Gazette sort of thing happening that was being put out in these letters and these little fake newspapers that were made. Um, and clearly they were like coming from my father, but they were talking about, uh, the, uh, detective David Messmore and suggesting these things of affairs with my mother. And then the prosecutor, James J. Mayer Jr. Uh, wanting things for political moments. There was all this nonsense, which I'm, I'm going to have to find these so I can read them on the program because they were really fascinating because He's trying to get this appeal and then there's all these things coming out that are happening and they are clearly his doing, by the way. And I believe also at this time, my uncle, my father's brother, Charles or CJ, as he was known by my mother, and he was also my mother's best friend and my godfather, asked me when the last time I have spoken to him. Well, it's every time that I try to call him or get a hold of him. He doesn't talk to me, um, but he's my godfather. So for those of you that are good Catholics, when you take that oath to be a godfather, of someone um, and look after them through thick and thin, no matter what till death to us part, but not really. Um, some people don't take that as seriously as others. Um, so that's a very interesting thing. So I never really hear from him at all. He works for the Navy. Um, and I guess I can talk about him on this program because you know what? Screw it. I did talk to him during COVID because my father had COVID in prison, as some of you know, and um, I was checking on him and I did call him to, to say this. And then I called him back later because it was during COVID and I was drinking at that time. As you guys know, I've been sober for a year and a half. But, you know, during COVID, everybody kind of went off the rails a little bit. I am not exempt from that fact. Um, and uh, yeah, I called him. And I think I let him have it. And I was trying to get a rise out of him because I'm like, you don't even give me any emotion. Um, because every time I communicate with him, he's like, Oh, what's going on? And he's not, he's not like, what's going on? He doesn't do that. He's like, what's going on? How's it happening? No, how's it? You ever get to Carl's Jr. out there in California? He literally asked me that one time. Carl's Jr. makes a good burger. First of all, I don't eat fast food. And, um, yeah, uh, no, I don't get to Carl's Jr. And that's not what I want to talk about. Um, 
I don't know. And look, I'm sitting here making fun of it. And, and I, there is a little bit of anger with my family, of course, my birth family, because of just me being the adult <laughs> and then me being the child that took the role of adult and them acting like a bunch of children that just ran away. But again, I was, I talked about at the beginning of the program, the resentment and the sort of things that you carry in life. You don't want to, you don't want to carry those resentments. You just kind of go, you know, look, we're all human. We all have flaws and, and a murder happened and people lost their fucking minds. Let's just keep it real. So in that note, there was this rich, there was this thing that my uncle had come out with and said that he saw my mother three days after she was murdered. She came to his office in Washington, DC. She confessed to him that she was part of a baby selling ring and a gold smuggling ring with the Chinese and all these, her friends were involved and all this stuff, all the, just this nonsense, this crazy nonsense. So my father's obviously planting those seeds and I ended up finding out and I'll probably talk about this in another episode later on the program. And I'll, I'll talk about it with somebody who's more of a specialist, but where there were certain things that my father did with his coercive control over his brother and sister. And so I think that my father influenced my uncle and look, my uncle worked for the department in the Navy. He was a nuclear submarine, um, uh, like systems analyst. So he has, he had like top secret clearance and it was like real, like Tom Clancy shit that he was involved in, like, like legit. And, um, he was stationed in Wales and Wales was a big naval submarine place for the United or base for the United States. A lot of, you know, that, uh, if you know, your sort of logistics in the world. Um, and yeah, so he had all the security. Cl- so him making up these things, I think, you know, obviously it's like mind control sort of stuff, uh, because the abuser, which I end up finding out is an abuser or the person that has this coercive control over you, whether it's your brother or your lover or your, um, or, you know, sister, father, mother, boyfriend, whatever, girlfriend, whatever it is. Um, there is this coercive control that these people have over them. And it, it has to do, it's linked always to some sort of trauma, whether they put them through that trauma or they bring up that trauma every time that they talk to them. It's really, really crazy. It's a, it's, it's very insidious and it's, it's shocking. So, point for saying this is my uncle was literally um risking his his clearance and his uh you know and his reputation in the navy uh to write these letters and and say these stories that were absolutely 100% fabricated and we now know that because my father is like admitted to pushing my mother and she hit her head because he was coming at her with the knife and that's what happened i mean that's obviously not the truth but uh, you know, so it's just, so we know it's completely fabricated <laughs> and that she was dead. And so it's interesting because I watched this, this film called bad vegan, uh, recently, and it is a documentary about this woman. And I think her name is Soraya or something. She owned uh, a vegan restaurant in Manhattan that was really popular with celebrities, all these people, a very amazing vegan restaurant. And she, um, had all these, uh, you know, had involved this guy, and this woman was very beautiful and she involved this very dumpy looking guy in her life. Look, whatever people, it doesn't matter. Um, but he, and they got married, but they weren't like in a romantic marriage, but it was a marriage of convenience. And he claimed he had money, but he claimed he was a secret agent and all this stuff. And she, he had her do this wacky stuff. And granted, like some of the things she did, she, but she, all I have to say this, she was clearly under a spell. And I feel that these people that have these coercive control things and look, we, you know, we spoke to Tara Newell. We're speaking to Deborah Newell. We, we, we've talked to psychologists on this program, like Dr. Dennis, Dennis Marikis. We are talking to people. I just was on a podcast called strictly stalking, which my episode is coming out soon. 
Um, but we're talking about like the coercive control and the manipulation that these people have when they violate you and whatever that is, whatever that violation looks like, whether they were molesting you or whether they were just abusing you or whether they were just had this like hold on you. I mean, look at like financial crimes, right? And these people, which is what this bad vegan is about. She stiffed her old waiting staff and the restaurant went under and all this. It's very unfortunate, really unfortunate for the people that were the collateral damage, like the workers that depended on their wages. You know, it's not cool when you don't pay people. Um, for those of you listening, I haven't paid me. Um, just kidding. Uh, but no, seriously, there is a lot of, uh, a lot to be said about that and the way that they can manipulate people. And my father has like, it's like a spell that you're under. It's like a voodoo or a witch doctor, you know? And, and it's like this, oh man, it's bad. It's really bad. And, um, it's a real thing. And so anyways, they were putting out these like Richland County gazettes, the Mansfield Gazette, like all these like printed up on a printer thing and putting them in people's mailboxes. I don't know who was doing it. My father it was a massive mail campaign to smear the prosecutor, to smear the detective, to smear my mother. And then so obviously he's all that to say this. He's obviously talking about all of this and trying to pretend he's a good guy and he's looking out for my feelings in case I read these things. He has, you know, his way of him distancing himself from these activities that he clearly was perpetrating, by the way. I mean, just when I think, and as an adult, and again, for those of you that don't know, I have not read these letters since I was a kid and, and a child doesn't understand this, but it plants those seeds, the seeds of manipulation and, and just the, the deception and it's gaslighting and it's what you thought of your mother, but I'm just protecting you and all this stuff. And this sort of got this magnanimous tone to it. It's just ridiculous. It's just bullshit is what it is. And it's also really heartbreaking to see this because this is a man who's saying this to his son, whose mother that he murdered. And, you know, and then the card, which goes hand in hand with some think they're, they're high and mighty. Some act high and mighty. There are sons that are unbearable. There are sons that are sons that are kind of flighty. Some are very, very wise and some act high and mighty. I mean, I guess as I listen to these, as I listen to, as I read these to you guys and as I start to think about like what I was going through. So I was whatever, 1994. So I was like 14, 15, 6, 16. I was 16 years old, almost 17. So I would have been a junior in high school. Um, and I was class president that year. I was elected class president, which was pretty cool. Um, there was all these things. And this was around the time that he was, like I said, he was going through an appeal. My father was going through an appeal for the murder of my mother for his conviction. And also he had wanted me to, uh, I, and I did, I gave D I gave blood for a DNA sample and, um, they were exhuming my mother's body to test the DNA to see if it was her body because there was all these things that came up. Like her eye color was wrong. And look, I have very blue eyes and I have my mother's eyes. So they're unmistakable. And, um, they were brown or whatever. Now, you know, spoiler alert, but when in, I look at the case file in a murder in Mansfield with detective Lieutenant, uh, or, you know, David Messmore, um, you know, her eyes were like bloodshot because she was bludgeoned in the back of the head. So, um, that's maybe why they were brown. I don't know. Um, and her body weight was off and all these things. And, you know, there was doubt that was cast that I don't think could be cast nowadays because we have so such advances in forensic science. 
the age of the internet, all these things, communication with different departments and things of that nature. But it is, um, you know, he was trying to plant these little seeds of doubt to see if he could get me to rescind my testimony. I mean, that's just, this is all this is about, by the way. Just to make it clear, this is all about getting me to rescind my testimony, say that I was coerced because I was the person that put him in prison because, or my testimony rather, my father put himself in prison. Let's be very clear about that. I've said that ad nauseum, but without what I ended up finding out with, without my testimony, he would have um, possibly walked free because everything was very circumstantial. Uh, there was no blood. There was no hair. There was no fire. Like there wasn't a lot of that or any of that <laughs> rather um, like in the house, the car from what I understand. Um, so me rescinding my testimony would have let him walk out of prison scot-free. So I guess, <laughs> I guess my sort of takeaway from this is I'm very glad that that didn't happen, that I didn't let myself be manipulated. And, and let's just face it, you know, my adoptive parents, George and Susan were very key in, in, and they, I remember they let the people, the investigators come in and ask me all these questions. Like, did Dave Messmore take me to a bar? And was he giving me beer and all that stuff? And then, no, <laughs> no the police officer was not getting me drunk at age 11. Um, but all these things, because we went to a restaurant that was a bar, but it, like in Ohio, like every restaurant has a bar, like every restaurant has a bar. Bowling alleys have bars. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just really sketchy and I'm really grateful. Anyways, I'm really grateful that I did not rescind my testimony. I did not let this man walk free because who knows if, if I had seen this and I might've said something different, I did do my best and I did give a benefit of the doubt to what I had seen with the coroners and my father, uh, George took me to, to the place. It was like an Akron, Ohio or something. We got up really early and I gave this blood and then we waited and all of that. But cause I was like, well, I'll do this and we'll see. Cause if it's not her body, then we got a bigger problem, problem at hand. Um, which I believe ultimately they, uh, they tested the DNA of my mother's sister, but not mine. So I might not even be my mother's son. And I'm sure, and my father has said that before, and I'm sure I'm going to find a leather or leather, a letter. One of these days that says that I, I will tell you 100%. I am, I am my mother's son, um, for the simple fact that I look like her. And that my mannerisms, when people who knew my mother, who have come back into my life via TikTok or whatever, and they knew her, they're like, oh my God, you're just like Noreen, which is also a really cool thing to hear uh, because I love my mother very much. And I'm glad to know that I'm so much like her and not like my father. That gives me hope. That said, um, what do you guys think? I mean, look, at the end of the day, here's the takeaway that I have for you. We all, no matter what, and just like this woman writing to me earlier, uh, you know, had to deal with her, her father being a serial womanizer, a serial, um, uh, adulterer. Um, we have all been through our stuff and we just hope that at the end of the day that we're better versions of our parents and that our parents do go through these things. But my father literally gaslighting me <laughs> in this letter is so horrific and so terrible. Um, that it's uh, beyond the pale, but pretty much everything that man ever writes is beyond the pale because it's always got some sort of agenda tied to it because it's all about him not taking accountability for his actions. 
So look, we are all flawed human beings. We all go through our own shit stuff, whatever it is. We're not perfect, but we sure as hell aren't killing our partners and blaming it on them. <laughs> um, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this episode because this is uh, you know, a pretty personal episode to me. And I, again, I open these letters and I don't know what's going to be in them. Sometimes they're like, Oh, that's nothing. And then sometimes it's really, really very valuable. So I think it's all valuable information for you guys. I know it really helps me in my process and, and what I'm going through as an adult and as I move on in my life and as I move past murder. And, um, you know, that's, that's it. We're all here to learn a little bit of something and be better humans, I think, at the end of the day. Oh, well, on that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.